Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Good morning, Liverpool One Church. It is so great to have you with us for service today. And um, we're going to be jumping straight into part two of our current series called You Are. And today it's called You Are Uncomplicated. But here's the one thing that I've just learned, right? You know, I've been doing this now a while. And I've kind of figured that what you need is the same thing that I need whenever I'm in a church, in a conference, at an event. And that is that you don't need just another word from the preacher, the speaker guy. Like that doesn't add any value to your life. That doesn't make any difference. There's no kind of point of change in any of that. But what you need is the same thing that I need when I'm in church like you, when I'm at an event, when I'm here expecting to hear from God. And that's that I need a word from God and not a word from a person. And my prayer all week is the same really. It's a pretty simple prayer. And I think that I've been doing this for many years. And in the run up to bringing a talk, I'll always pray really two things. And that's that if you're far away from God, I pray that you'll feel Him today and that you would find Him. So that when you leave church today, that you would walk away feeling, knowing, sensing, like you've just heard from God, like He's just dropped something into the depth of your spirit. So I know that without that, then we could do whatever we wanna do. And it's not really gonna be very beneficial for anybody. So let's start this in the right way that we mean it to go on. Will you just pray with me for, for, for a moment? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we're coming and we're asking today, Lord, that you would, you would just breathe your words of life over every single word that I speak today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bring your illumination to your word and that God, that this would make a difference, that this wouldn't just be another talk, it wouldn't just be another preach, but we would all genuinely walk out of church today, knowing, feeling and sensing like we've just heard from you. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Well, it is, um, it's great to have you with us today. And I don't know about you, but have you ever realised or noticed how some of the most simplistic questions that can be asked often receive some of the most complex answers. It's kind of strange the way this works, but you're gonna like walk around this week and you're gonna see this everywhere. Like sometimes the most simple questions that need to be answered don't often get answered directly. Here's an example. We're just in the process of buying a kitchen and I was asking an assistant in a showroom to show me this oven. And my first question was, how much is it? And they were like, well, let me tell you about this oven. It's got like this door and it does this thing and it's really impressive. It doesn't let things fall off it. And I listened to her and I was polite and I kind of said, hey, that's great, but how much is this oven? And now she's in sales, right? So she started to go on and tell me that, well, it's in a great sale right now and it's discounted heavily and it's got all of these additional features that none of the other ovens have in this particular range. And I said, that's really great to know, but like, 
how much is the oven? And then she went on again for a third time to say how it's so affordable right now because of the amount of money that's been discounted off the product and all the additional features. It's like, a, it's a no-brainer to not go with this particular oven. And kind of like there's a half a part of me that's like interested because it's an oven and it seems to me like as a husband, I need to be interested in that. But I know that I'm going to be a non-end user of this product. Like I am useless in the kitchen. So really when we get down to the brass tacks, I'm just like, just tell me how much the thing is. And no matter how many times I was asking her, she just kind of kept going round in circles. And I'm like going, just, just answer the question. It's funny, isn't it? How sometimes the most simple of questions can get the most complicated of answers. If you're a parent, you'll experience this probably daily. Probably around about half past five, when you've been making tea for the family, I bet you that you start to ask and call and beckon all of the kids to come down and come around from wherever they are to gather around the table and eat their dinner whilst it's hot. And you'll probably do something like we do in our house, which is you tend to shout like, hey boys, where, is, where are you? You know, come down, it's dinner time. Now, it's a really simple thing, right, that we're asking you to do. It's like, just come out of your room, walk down the stairs, have your tea. It's not that complicated. And yet, I am surprised at how complex that question turns into so quickly. So we're met with answers like, uh, yeah, I'll come in a minute. Well, in our house, a minute means about 30 minutes, by which time tea's freezing cold. Or typically what we hear, and if you've got a kid that plays PlayStation, you know, like chances are the response that you're given when you say, hey, come down for tea, it's like, well, I'm in a game. And what that means is I'm online, I'm with someone, I can't press pause yet because I'll lose something, points, I don't know how it works. But like, that's how we're met all of the time. And it becomes infuriating. Even sometimes we'll say, hey, come down for your tea. And then someone will say like, do I have to? Well, let me think about that. You've been doing this every day of your life and it's never changed. What makes you think that today is gonna be any different? And all of a sudden, this like really simple task kind of gets way more complicated than it ever needs to be. For those of you who are parents, you'll also know that the simple question that you ask to your ch child every day is what have you done at school? Well, that gets complicated, doesn't it? Because I, I can't believe the way it's so different, the way we educated the, educate the genders in the UK. Because it seems like if you've got a daughter, apparently they do like maths and science and English and art, and they go on trips and they do sport. But apparently we don't do any of that with boys. And we've got three boys and we ask them, and we always have when they were in school and not all of them are now, like, what have you done today? And the common standard answer is nothing. Really? Nothing again? Like you've been doing nothing for the past 15 years of your life. Like what, what do you do all day? Nothing. Like, really? That, that's just amazing that, incredible. Have you got any homework? No. Really? Funny though, isn't it how they only have homework around about the time that you ask them to do the dishwasher and then all of a sudden that simple task of, hey, will you do the dishwasher? Yeah, I can't, I've got homework. Well, how come you've got homework? Because you've been doing nothing all day. How can you have homework to do nothing? It doesn't make sense, right? And it's just a simple question that seems to get this overcomplicated answer. For those of you who are married, here's a simple question that sometimes you guys ask your wives. It's like, um, can you tell me what time you'll be ready? And all I want is a number. That's all I want, like 10, 
minutes, you know, maybe five minutes, that would be great. But I never get that. What I get is, yeah, I've just got to do the thing and then I've got to take this. And whilst I'm doing this, will you go and sort the dog and will you make sure that door's closed? And I'm like, yeah, but what time are we going? What time will you be ready? Because like, we're already going to be like, well, it's probably going to be in about, well, let me see. If you do this and if I do that, I'm like, just answer the question, right? It's not hard. But sometimes it's just amazing how we can take really simple questions and make them really complicated. But it's the same in life too. Sometimes some really simple things can just get really complicated real quick, especially if you're a Christian. Like, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, staying the course and remaining in faith and staying true to Christ seems at first so easy. And yet over time, it can feel like it becomes incredibly complex. It actually can almost become hard and difficult and challenging to stay the course and to remain a follower of Jesus. Even sometimes being part of a local church can bring its challenges, its complexities, it makes it difficult. And all of a sudden, what should be so seemingly simple at times feels like, man, this is just starting to become so incredibly complex. And I think that what's making this problem all the more worse is apparently there is this thing called overthinking that now 75% of our under 35s suffer from. What overthinking is, it's not necessarily a medical thing, but rather it's the way in which we see the world and we think about the world. And what it means when you're an overthinker is you start to ruminate and consider and think about all of the time past events, like past conversations, past jobs, past relational breakdowns, past failures. You don't often overthink about the good things in life. What you end up doing is you start to overthink about the areas of your life that have been hard and difficult and challenging. Maybe even the parts of your life that actually have really hurt you. They've scarred you. Maybe the parts of your life that make you now anxious and a little bit stressed out. And we become great ruminators of all the bad things that have happened to us in our life in times gone by. It's called overthinking. And in fact, psychologists are now saying that this is becoming like a global pandemic to the extent where overthinking can cause you physical illness. Like if you become a compulsive overthinker, it can give you headaches, it can give you backaches, it can even make you feel nauseous. Like this is an actual thing that happens when we start to overcomplicate and overthink all of the things that have happened to us in our past, in our previous experiences. And this is like a challenge for us all because if some of us are prone to overthinking, and your natural wiring in your default mode is to fall into the trap of constantly focusing on things that have happened in your past, it can have a really detrimental effect on the way that you follow Jesus. In fact, ruminating and thinking about all of the time can detrimentally affect the way in which you follow Christ. Like, you know what happens, you go to work and then something bad happens and you can't get that conversation out of your mind. 
You wish that didn't happen. You wish that you'd have worded it differently. You wish that they hadn't responded the way that they did. And now you can't go back and change the clock and turn the whole thing around. So you become like a, an, a compulsive warrior about what's going on. It doesn't leave your mind. You can't relax at night and watch TV because all you're thinking about is the events of the day. And what happens over time, over all the areas of our life that we start to overthink on, is it starts to affect the way that we follow Jesus. It starts to affect the path that we follow. So if you've ever struggled with overthinking, I want today to keep this nice and simple and just give you one thing that you've got to know if you want to stay true to the course and the path of following Christ. Like there's one thing that you've got to know. And if you don't know this thing, it's probably highly likely at some point in your fellowship of Christ that you're gonna go a little bit off piste. If you don't know this one thing, it's highly likely that at some point you're just going to go off track. But before I tell you what the one thing is, let me just set this up by reading to you a small passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 13. And it just says this, these things now remain. In other words, for all of eternity, there will be these three things. And it says faith, hope, and love. Like, if there's ever gonna be things that are gonna be vital to your life, it's gonna be faith, hope, and love. And in the church world, and I'm guilty of this, we talk about faith and we talk about love, loving God, loving people, but we don't often talk about the middle one. We don't often talk about what it actually looks like in a practical way to have hope in your life as you choose to follow Christ. And it's a big deal because without hope, you can kind of lose your way. So, there's one thing that you've got to know if you're going to stay true and remain faithful to Jesus and stay part of a church, stay and remain in your Christian faith, stay part of the family of God. There's one thing that you've got to have going on in your life. But let me set it up by asking you this first. What do you think the most important thing is for you to have going on in your life as a Christian? Like, like, what's the most important thing that you think is most valuable that you need the most to help you? Because whatever it is that you're thinking about right now, if it's not what I'm going to tell you next, I promise you, my experience says at times you're going to struggle. The one thing that you need to have going on as you follow Jesus is encouragement. Without encouragement, it is impossible for you to remain faithful to Christ. In fact, discouragement normally leads to destruction. Like if you think about the times in your life when maybe you've been a bit wild, you've been a bit crazy, you've gone and done a thing, I bet you at the root cause of whatever was going on in your life during that season that you look back on and think, man, I should have done that differently, I bet that someone, somewhere, something had happened that had just discouraged you, that had knocked you off your perch. For example, when you're discouraged, it just has all crazy outworkings and effects on your life. No man or woman ever said, hey, do you know what? My marriage is so amazing right now and I'm so encouraged. I'm thinking about getting a divorce. Nobody ever said that, right? And in the same way, nobody has ever gone, 
man, I'm just so encouraged in work right now. The pay is amazing. I've got the sales in. My team are absolutely brilliant. My boss is amazing. I'm so encouraged. I'm thinking of quitting tomorrow. Like nobody has ever said that. Without encouragement going on in your life, that's exactly what you end up wanting to do. You wanna walk away from him. You wanna walk away from her. You wanna walk out on the thing. Discouragement always leads to destruction. So if encouragement is vital for your faith life, I wanna just share with you five things that you've gotta do in order to stay encouraged. I'm gonna give you five questions that you've got to ask to you and you've got to figure out yourself. Because if you don't ask these questions to you and only hear them because I'm saying them to you, then it will make no lasting difference. Because what I tell you won't last for long, but what you learn for you will last forever. So here are five questions that you've got to ask yourself in order to see you stay and remain encouraged. Question number one, are my spiritual batteries recharged? If you want to stay encouraged, it doesn't start with anybody else. It starts with you. How are your spiritual batteries doing? How are you doing in your spirit life? And the reason why I ask that is because I think that we're all the same in this. I personally have found that when my spirit batteries are full, like every other area of my life just seems to win and it seems to work. When my spirit battery is full, I feel like my, I'm just a better dad, I'm a better husband, I'm a better boss, I'm a better employer, I do this better, I'm a better leader. When my spiritual batteries are full, life just goes better for me. And yet the same is true to the opposite. When my spiritual batteries are flat, I'm not great to be around at all. In fact, the best way for me to describe this would be to use these two cans. When my spiritual batteries are empty, it doesn't take much around me to crush me. When I've got nothing of God going on on the inside of me, it just doesn't take all that much to discourage me, to knock me off peace, to take me off track. It doesn't take a lot. And yet, in contrast, in contrast, when the can is full, when my spiritual batteries are full, like it doesn't matter what's going on around me, it's not going to crush me, it's not going to defeat me, it's not going to take me out. My spiritual batteries are full and my life is better when I intentionally do some things that I'm going to share with you now to make sure that I'm topped up. So if you want to stay encouraged, you've got to do, I think, not what self-help books would tell you to do, but do what Jesus did because the scriptures are clear. It gives us ideas, it gives us language to understanding exactly how Jesus lived his life. And I don't know about you, but I'm a follower of Jesus, so I wanna do what he did. And there are multiple places in the gospel that give clues to what Jesus did to make sure that his spiritual batteries, batteries were full so that whatever else was going on around him, it wasn't gonna take him out. So in Mark 6, it says this, then Jesus said, and he's talking to his disciples, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going 
that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. I think we can all relate to that in our lives in some way. Jesus was traveling from town to town. He was doing these miracles and everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. Like his schedule was full. Everywhere he would go, people would be pushing against him. Everybody would want to converse with him. Everybody would want a bit of time with him. And Jesus hit this place and he was like, guys, we've got to go and find a quiet place because there's just too many people coming and going. You know what that's like when you've got the appointments that you've got to be at, you've got to make sure your bag's packed for this, you need the kids' schedule sorted, you know that you've got something else on and you've got the thing and the thing. Like, you know what it's like to live a rammed and busy and crazy life. And if that's what you experience, you've also got to experience with the same intensity of what Jesus implemented into his life, which was a commitment to just go and find a quiet place. Let's find a quiet place where you can just be alone, spend some time with your heavenly father and be away from everybody that draws your life out of you. In Luke 5, it tells us the same thing with different language. It tells us that Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place. Another translation says he often withdrew to a solitary place. In other words, it was a habit that Jesus built into his life. It wasn't something that he was prepared to do by default or leave to chance, but he was intentional about creating an environment in his life that was quiet so he could spend time with the Father. That was how Jesus replenished his spiritual batteries. And I think we've got to get back to this ancient art of just spending some quiet time in whatever way that works for you. For some, it's finding a room and being still and being quiet and reading God's word. For others, it's going on a walk and just being in and amongst creation, like looking at everything that God has made and finding that stillness of heart out there. Whatever it is that works for you, do whatever it takes to find a still and quiet place. Psalm 46, it says this, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am the Lord. I was at a conference over the last couple of days and there were just thousands of people. And literally last night, it got really late. And right at the end of the night, when the whole thing was supposed to finish, there's a really well-known worship leader. His name is Martin Smith. And he kind of like was in the band Delirious from back in the day. And in the church world, he's a real big thing. And right at the end of the night, he did this thing. And I just had never been in an environment where they did this before. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And he literally just told thousands of men to like just be still and to know that he is God and it was quiet and it was still. And in the stillness, you start to sense his greatness. We've got to build habits of somehow finding solitude and stillness. You know, that's actually what we try and do for each and every one of you on a Sunday here at church. We want to create an environment that you get to have a take out moment of your life where you just get to chill from all the carnage and the chaos. In fact, when you look up what that psalm means when it's talking about being still and knowing that he's God, it actually almost means like take a vacation, take a holiday, take a break, take a pause from whatever it is that your life is so busy and full with. Like take a pause break from that and know that he's God. Every Sunday that you come to church, this is what you do. This is why you come to church. Because you're intentionally saying, I'm gonna press pause on everything that's going on in my life. I'm gonna take a holiday from that. I'm gonna take a break from that because I'm committed to worship with the corporate body of Christ and I want to hear from God. It's you taking a holiday to find out who God is for your next week. So you've got to ask yourself the question, how's your spiritual batteries doing? The second thing that you've got to ask 
is do I have enough support? Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 tells us that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, the other can help the other up. You know, in every single one of our lives, there is a challenge level and there is a support level. And both of these levels are varying in degrees all of the time. But what is healthy for your life and mine is when you've got a challenge level of whatever that might be for you, like work, family, being a parent, doing your stuff. It might be about here. So long as your support level is just underneath that, you'll probably be pretty happy and quite well balanced and feel like you can take whatever is coming. But what happens to us is that during intense time of stress, and this happens for us all, for example, when you become a new parent and the baby's not sleeping, what happens is that your challenge level increases. That's why family and friends are so important because you need to have your support level increasing in tandem with it. But because we're English, what we like to do is we suffer in silence and we don't tell anybody of the struggles and we don't increase our support level. It's the same when you're starting a business or starting a new job. It's like the challenge level Level increases, and you've got to know during those times your support level has to meet it where it's at. Otherwise, it creates a gap. And where there's a gap between what you're challenged with and what you're supported with, it creates stress. And when you're stressed, it creates a greater need for support, and your stress will take you off track in your relationship with Jesus. When you've got stuff going on in your life and it gets stressy, it makes being a Christian hard. So ask yourself the question, how are you doing on your support level? Thirdly, am I future focused? People who struggle with overthinking a lot, what they end up kind of experiencing is it's like they get caught in their mind in the past. But there's one thing that you've got to learn the art of doing if you want to live an encouraged life And that's that you've got to somehow find yourself in a place where you can fixate more on your future and it being a great future than you are focused on your mistakes and failings and stuff that's happened to you in your past. Somehow you've got to choose to become future focused. And I know it's difficult, right? It's tough for you when you're stuck on the divorce. It's tough for you when you've got something that's going on with your child. It's tough for you when you've got a business that feels like it's heading towards financial ruin. It's difficult to remain future focused. But even Paul in Philippians, he tells us how to do this. And he basically says it like this, guys, sometimes you've just got to draw a line in the sand. And what he says is in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, I focus on one thing, not many things, not a multitude of things, but I'm going to focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. If you want to stay encouraged in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in your faith, then you've got to start to focus on what's ahead of you and believe that it's going to be better for you than anything that you've experienced in your past. And it's just a choice. You just choose. This is how I'm going to think now. I'm not going to ruminate and start to worry about all the things that I can't change. I can't go back and change that conversation. I can't go back and redo the interview. I can't change how that person responded to me. I can't change the relational breakdown. Like you've just got to choose to move forward in faith and become fixated on your future way more than your past. The fourth thing that you've got to ask yourself, the fourth question is, is my family close? 
And this is something that I've been learning. I'm having to ask myself, is my family close? Because actually, you can have a whole bunch of people that are close to you, and it doesn't mean or count for a great deal if your family are far away from you. Like as a parent, you need to ask yourself the question like, is my family close? Are my kids close? In your marriages, like, are we close? Are we connected? Are we in each other's world and not just in each other's house doing life together? Ask yourself the question, is my family close? Like even Jesus spoke into this issue in Matthew 8. He was like, what good is it if man gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, we could almost say it like this, What good is it if you gain everything in the world and then lose your own world and what's really important to you? Because I promise you, right, in the times when you get sick, in the times when you go through real hardship, in the times when life gets frictious and difficult, it's your family that are going to be by your bedside more than anybody else. So is your family close? And then fifthly and finally, and I'm saying like, get your family close because you're only going to have ever have like one set of kids and one wife, one husband. You're only going to have them once in your world. So you might as well like just absolutely do the best with everything that God's given you. But fifth and finally, you've got to ask this question. Is my heart soft? Which I understand it's kind of like maybe Christian language and sometimes it can feel a little bit confusing. Like what does that even mean? Like, but, but is my heart soft? Throughout Scripture, there were these occasions that are often recorded when, for example, the Pharaoh's heart became hard or when the nation of Israel's heart became hardened. And when your heart is hard, it means that you are less open to God. When your heart is hard, you are less open to the things of God, to the people of God. In fact, you can be in church today with even the hardest of hearts. And it doesn't matter what the band play. It doesn't matter. They could make it rain in this room and it's not going to touch you. You're not going to feel it. You're not going to find God in it because your heart is hard. Like when your heart is hard, it doesn't matter what I'm going to say to you. It's kind of like, this will be repulsive. This will repel you. This will push you back. It will make you feel like, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to listen to this. This is all a load of rubbish. I don't think that God's Word even is alive. I don't think it speaks to me today. And when your heart is hard, it's almost near impossible to remain encouraged. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.